The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. From the stories of the past and the fiction writers of the future, the Mutual Audio Network presents Mutual Book Club. This is a reading of the book, The Devil's Pinata, a mystery comedy. The mystery being, when is the comedy going to start? Just read the script. Written and read by John Bell. This is segment four of the serialized book. Serialized means we poured fruity pebbles all over it. You want to cut the comedy? <laughs> yeah, like you'd recognize comedy. Anyway, you might want to catch the first three segments before hearing this segment. Or not. Wink, wink. The book continues with an important email sent to the author. Chapter 9 From Cynthia Ludlam Heroines Obliterating Troubling Transpirations of Incredibly Egregious Stereotypes H-O-T-T-I-E-S To John Bell, author of The Devil's Piñata Dear Mr. Bell, we at our organization have learned that you are writing an action-adventure novel. We feel it is our duty to make sure that the women in your novel do not fall into the standard bimbo model of so many so-called action-adventure tomes. I must warn you, sir, that if the romantic interest of your book is not up to our standards of what a fully developed female should be, we may be forced to protest the publication of said book until the character becomes more three-dimensional. Thank you for your attention, Miss Ludlam. From John Bell author of The Devil's Piñata, to Cynthia Ludlam, heroines obliterating troubling transpirations of incredibly egregious stereotypes, H-O-T-T-I-E-S. Fear not, ladies. In the very next chapter, I introduce a female character that I have worked hard to make sure she is fully developed and three-dimensional. You have nothing to fear. I shall send you a free copy of the book when it is finished. Love, Johnny B. Chapter 10. As Buck was wondering what he should do next, he noticed a form approaching him. And what a form it was. It was a woman, but not just any woman. This was the most fully developed woman he had ever seen. She had a pair of 45s, and I don't mean guns. These babies filled and overflowed the third dimension as they bounced up at... Chapter 11. From Cynthia Ludlam. Heroines Obliterating Troubling Transpirations of Incredibly Egregious Stereotypes, H-O-T-T-I-E-S, to John Bell, author of The Devil's Piñata. Dear Mr. Bell, as much as we appreciate the free copy of your book that you sent us, we were aghast at the description of your fully developed female character. To be charitable, we agreed to assume that you misunderstood our description. When we said fully developed and third dimensional, we were not referring to her bazookas. We merely strongly suggested that the character not be two-dimensional and have depth. Is this too much to ask? Please try again. Ms. Ludlam. From John Bell, author of The Devil's Piñata. To Cynthia Ludlam, Heroines Obliterating Troubling Transpirations of Incredibly Egregious Stereotypes, H-O-T-T-I-E-S. Sin, sweetie, it was not my intention to portray my female character in a way that would get your group's collective panties in a knot. You want depth? She'll have depth. Hugs and kisses? Johnny, big guy, B. Chapter 12 as Buck was wondering what he should do next, he noticed a form approaching him. It was a woman, tall, statuesque, 
but more. Everything about her demonstrated that she had depth. This was no ordinary two-dimensional bimbo like all the ones Buck had attempted to score with over the years. No, this woman, this lady, definitely had depth. She had height, she had width, and she most definitely had depth. Otherwise, when she turned sideways, she'd disappear. Buck decided to... Chapter 13 From Cynthia Ludlam Heroines Obliterating Troubling Transpirations of Incredibly Egregious Stereotypes, H-O-T-T-I-E-S, to John Bell, author of The Devil's Piñata. Dear Mr. Mud for Brains, I'm sure you think you're pretty funny. Ha, ha, ha. Well, let's just see how many books you sell with such a Neanderthal attitude towards women. Our organization is prepared to act. Angrily yours, Ms. Ludlam. From John Bell, author of The Devil's Piñata, to Cynthia Ludlam. Heroines Obliterating Troubling Transpirations of Incredibly Egregious Stereotypes, H-O-T-T-I-E-S. Sin, 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 baby. Take a my doll and relax. If you can give me one good reason why I should follow your group's advice, I'll make the female character a model, you should pardon the expression, of intelligence and independence. Not holding my breath waiting, JB, hot stuff. From Cynthia Ludlam. Heroines Obliterating Troubling Transpirations of Incredibly Egregious Stereotypes, H-O-T-T-I-E-S-2, John Bell, author of The Devil's Piñata. Hey, Dumbo, women buy books too. Chapter 14 As Buck was wondering what he should do next, he noticed a form approaching him. As she grew nearer, she said, Hey, Dumbo, you call that a good landing? Where did you learn to fly? At Tinkerbell Academy? What are you doing on my property? Buck immediately quipped back, um, excellent retort. Don Rickles, you're not. Who are you, anyway? Uh, I'm, um, Buckshot. Oh, so you're the famous Buckshot. Well, I'm your contact for this mission. My name is Marsha Rodowack. If you'd like to succeed in this mission, why don't you mop the pop-slop-glop off your jodpers and follow me? Buck staggered to his feet and followed Marsha as she stalked off. Wait, he exclaimed. I wasn't told of any contact. She didn't stop walking. That's because I'm a secret contact. Buck ran to catch up with her. Why would I have a secret contact? She gave him a quick glare. Oh, Buck surmised. It's a secret, right? Well, he does have a few brain cells in that bounce house he calls a head. Who are you affiliated with, Marcia? She stopped so suddenly he almost ran into her. She turned on him with fire in her eyes. First of all, nobody calls me by my first name. She took out a bottle of water and doused her eyes. I hate when that happens. Her eyes sizzled for a moment. Next of all, my name isn't Marcia. It's Marcia. What's the difference? The spelling, Nimrod. Marcia is with a C-I-A, not S-H-A. Oh, so you're with the CIA. I'm nothing of the sort. I'm with the I-I-I. The Roman numeral three? I-I-I. Now you sound like Ricky Ricardo. The I-I-I is a secret organization, the International Investigators of Intelligence. I never heard of them. That's because they're secret. Secret, right. And you've obviously never been investigated by them. Okay, here's the plan, began Buck. No, here's the plan, interrupted Marcia. When we get to the city, we'll check into a hotel. From that point forward, you do exactly as I say. 
Buck smiled lasciviously. Oh, come on, said Marcia. You don't even know what lasciviously means. Sadly, she was correct. I may not have the best vocabinet in the world, Buck proudly stated, but when it comes down to fisticuffs and gum play, there's nobody more interlopatorial than I. Yes, I suspect you're quite the superannuated maladroit. Buck smiled widely. Finally, he was impressing her. Chapter 15 They arrived in the city of Shulbeet just as the sun was disappearing behind a mountain. David Copperfield exclaimed, And there it goes! to the amazed crowd. Everybody gasped and agreed that 100 Krupniks a night was well worth it to see this amazing disappearing act. Buck and Marcia approached the local hotel, the Shulbeet Sikhs. Here's the plan, explained Marcia. I have word that the courier with the last piece of the doomsday device will be active tomorrow. We can't draw attention to ourselves or act suspiciously. Sonobovich has secret police everywhere. How do you know he has secret police, if there's secret? asked Buck, mentally posting one big point for his side. Because his secret police wear big badges that say secret police on them. His mental acuity is about on a par with yours. Buck felt a chill pass through his loins as her appreciation of him increased with every sentence. When we go inside, she continued, we need to check in as man and wife. He's coming too, said the hotel doctor. What happened? Buck muttered groggily. The doctor held up more grog for him to drink. Apparently you fainted. Marcia added quickly, "'You know, dear, that condition you have, the one that makes you faint from time to time?' "'I don't have any condition that makes me faint. It must have been because you told me we were going to pretend to be married and get a room together.' The crowd of onlookers gasped. A man wearing a secret police badge was busy scribbling in a notepad. "'You're still dizzy from your spell, dear. You tend to hallucinate when you have these frequent fainting spells, honey!' She winked at him rapidly. "'Why are you winking at me?' Buck asked. "'Got something in your eye? Or are you just in a hurry to get me up into the room so we can plan our strategy to capture the courier who—' "'He's coming, too,' said the doctor. "'Well, what happened?' said Buck, slurring his words. The doctor held up more slurry for him to drink. "'You've been shot.' "'Yes,' said Marcia, pinching his shoulder painfully. "'You were about to become violent. I had to do it.' But she placed her hand on his mouth and pressed down hard. "'It couldn't be helped. You were about to go into a homicidal rampage like you sometimes do after you faint and you start to hallucinate.' <laughs> said Buck. The doctor tightened the gauze on Buck's shoulder, where Marcia's painful pinch had loosened it. It was quite the heroic act on the part of your wife, he said. Too bad one shot went wild and killed that poor innocent bystander, the tall fellow with the secret police badge and notebook. I think he was an insurance salesman. Still, it is sad. The doctor departed the room, leaving a bill on the table, and closed the door. The vibration of the door caused the table to shake, making the bill fall on the floor. The hotel duck waddled over and claimed it. Now I can have lunch, it thought, and flew out the window. Marcia removed her hand from Buck's mouth. 
You taste good, he said. Ew, exclaimed Marcia. She rushed to the kitchen. Where am I? asked Buck, looking around at the cheap furniture surrounding the bed he was laying on. In our hotel room, you schmuck, responded Marcia, gritting her teeth as the water boiled around her hand. Oh? Oh, said Buck. Then come on in here and let me see my little CIA cutie. A bullet ripped through the pillow next to his ear, sending feathers flying. Marcia stomped back into the bedroom, a smoking gun in her hand. First, I'm not CIA. I'm I-I-I. Next, I wish this gun would stop smoking. It's up to a pack a day. And finally, I'm not anybody's cutie, especially yours. Not with that attitude, stated Buck. He looked at the bullet hole in the down-filled pillow. A small duck peeked out and gave him a dirty look. Buck was impressed that he got to witness two duck jokes in the same chapter. Marcia sat on a chair next to the bed and began to unfold a map. Listen carefully. This is our plan. Looks more like a map. The plan involves the map. Now shut up and listen. We have word from Intel that there are five men... Intel? Buck interrupted. The computer chip folks? Intel is short for intelligence. Military intelligence. Yeah, I find them short of intelligence quite often. Marcia ignored him and continued to unfold the map. There are five men in the building across the street. One of them has the last part of the doomsday device. The other four are decoys. And before you say it, no, they are not wooden ducks. I wouldn't say that. Uh-huh. She continued to unfold the map. In about thirty minutes at the top of the hour, these five men will depart the building across the street, all headed in different directions. This will make it difficult to ascertain which one has the part we need. But there are some facts we do know that will help. At great risk, we received a recording of the men planning their departure. Listen carefully. Marcia turned on a tape recorder. Buck heard rough voices speaking. Man A. I do not have the package. Man B. The man two men behind me has the package. Man C. The package is being carried by the man in front of the liar. Man D. I have the package. Man E. Why do I always have to be the second person in line? Marcia continued unfolding the map. The only glitch in this plan, she explained, is that we know that one man, and only one man, is lying. So we must figure out who is lying to work out who has the package? We can do this by making a grid on a piece of paper, Marcia. Then we create scenarios of how each person's potential lie would affect the other statements. If we discover that there are two lies as the result of the first lie, then we know that the first lie is in fact a true statement, and then move on. Marcia, once we have worked out, logically, which person is actually lying, we must then correlate the statements to deduce which of the men has the package and in what order they'll be leaving the building. Marcia! Marcia sighed with impatience as she kept unfolding the map. What? Do you have a better plan? Actually, I do. Why don't we just grab all five of the men as they leave and beat them up until they tell us who has the package? And how would we capture all five men at the same time? Buck winked. I have a plan. The top of the hour. The door to the building across the street slowly opened. 
A bearded man stuck his head out the door and looked left and right. Content that the way was clear, he motioned to the men behind him. Five men stepped out of the door, each wearing a T-shirt with letters A through E on them. The moment they were clear of the doorway, a huge sheet fell on them from above, covering them completely. Buck and Marcia jumped down from the perches they held above the door and completely bound the men inside the huge, unfolded map. The daring duo dragged the map, filled with couriers, up to their hotel room, explaining to the desk clerk that they worked for a livestock company and were merely taking their samples to the room. To prove their cover, Marcia pulled a chicken from her purse and handed it to the clerk. Keep it, she said with a wink. The clerk accepted it and said with a smile, Wow, a pullet surprise! After dragging the wriggling bundle to their room, Buck and Marcia proceeded to pummel the undulating mass of terrorists with various pieces of furniture until all five were crying, Uncle! which in the Babenstan language means, Hey, take it easy. That furniture could be expensive. We agree to any terms you have as long as we live and get a free chicken for our troubles. It took another 20 minutes for the bearded men to figure out exactly who did have the correct package, as none of them were truly adept at logic puzzles. After the package was seized, Buck and Marcia shoved the five men into the bathroom and locked the door. Buck and Marcia stood there a moment, sweaty, Panting, out of breath, Buck said, Was it good for you? Marcia went to the table where the package sat. She quickly unwrapped it. She held it up. It's a switch, an on-off switch. Those are pretty important, Buck said. I mean, you gotta turn the doomsday device on somehow. Marcia tucked the switch into her purse. I'm sure it's more complex than that. It must contain microcircuitry that performs some vital role. Like turning on the gizmo? Shut up, said Marcia as she headed for the door. Come on, we have work to do. Chapter 16 The salt water interacted with the cell structure of the asparagus stalk. Inexplicably, the cells in the stalk began dividing at a greatly increased rate. The asparagus stalk began to grow. Wowee, this sure is exciting, and I can't wait to hear what happens in the next episode next week, right here. The Devil's Piñata is copyright 2020 by John Bell Creative, LLC. Like anybody would want to steal this. The Mutual Book Club, available on any of the Mutual Audio Days. The Mutual Fiction Podcast feed and the Mutual Audio Network feed. Thanks to the reader for today's performance, and please look for more classic tales and future writers next time at the Mutual Book Club. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. Together.